On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about a question that has been around for a long time, and people take exactly opposite positions on this doctrinal question. We want to talk about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. There are people who believe and teach that once a person is truly saved, they can never so sin as to be lost. We want to compare that doctrine with what we read in the Bible, see if it's true or not. So we got a very simple study tonight, a very basic study, but an important one about the once saved, always saved doctrine. So stay tuned. We'll be back live with the Virtual Bible Study right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and this is the virtual bible study it's thursday night september the 17th 2020 thanks for joining us on the virtual bible study we're going to be asking you to get involved in our discussion tonight we always remind you that you can do that in several different ways if you're watching uh the video live we have a chat room window open there and you can join in just join in give yourself a name use your own name if you want or use a pen name however you want to do it but join with us in the chat room we see several Several people in there already and get in the chat room to make your dis- your comments and we'll be watching the chat room uh, as we go along in our discussion you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com uh, and, and we'll try to field those email questions if they come in and when they come in and then of course we've got our phone line we'll try to get to that phone line at 877-381-4567 so please Plan to be a part of our program tonight. My name is Greg Gwynn. I'm one of the regular hosts on the Virtual Bible Study, but I'm not in my regular seat. Jacob, uh, my son Jacob, who usually sits here at the at the uh, at this station, is under the weather tonight, and so I'm in his place and sitting in my normal chairs. My good friend and brother uh, Bob uh, Tidwell and Bob, we appreciate you being with us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. It's good to be with you tonight, Greg. Good, thanks. Bob's one of the members here at College View, and he does a, a good bit of preaching, has has even done full-time preaching uh, in times past, and uh, we are so glad to have him as part of the congregation and glad to have him tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for being with us, Bob. Our number one guy, Kyle Barnes, is behind the controls. Kyle, thanks for manning the board tonight. Yeah, it's always good to be here. Uh, and so we want to talk about once saved, always saved. That's our topic for discussion tonight. We always tell you that we send out our topic uh, for discussion about midday on Thursdays, and we have a we have a list, uh, an email list of hundreds of people who receive that update. If you're not getting that update, you can simply send us an email to our email address questions at collegeview.com and just say add me to the list and we will do that we get requests regularly to be added to our email list if you are on our email list you got an update earlier today that asked these questions number one are there bible verses that indicate that continued faithfulness is necessary 
Number two, list some of the negative things that the Bible says can happen to one's faith. In other words, bad things can happen to my faith. And so what are some of the things the Bible say might happen to my faith? Number three, what are some Bible verses that warn about falling away? And as a follow-up to that, how can these verses be explained if there's no danger of falling away? Number four, what can we learn by looking at the case of Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8? Number five, what are some of the proof texts that are sometimes used to defend the doctrine of once saved, always saved? And finally, if someone who was once considered saved becomes obviously sinful and wicked, how is this explained by those who believe once saved, always saved? And so that's we want to kind of progress in our study along those lines. Um, this doctrine, Bob, this doctrine has been around for a long time. I mean, I'm sure you have dealt with it all the time that you've taught and preached. Uh, you've had people who've expressed this view. So it's obviously been around in our lifetimes. Oh, certainly. Yeah, and, and we get questioned about this a lot. But I, I did a little uh, reading today and found out that this has actually been around since earliest church history. I found a quote from Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a second century Christian writer, well-known Irenaeus. Uh, He wrote a book called Against Heresies. That was his book. So it's obviously an ancient book uh, written in the second century. Listen to this quote, Bob, and you'll see that he was dealing with the same kind of thing that we're dealing with. He says, quote, but as to themselves, they hold that they shall be entirely and undoubtedly saved, not by means of conduct, but because they are spiritual by nature. Now, he was describing some who were holding to some of the Gnostic doctrines. He says they believe they'll be saved because they are spiritual by nature. For just as it is impossible that material substance should partake of salvation, so again it is impossible that spiritual substance should ever come under the power of corruption, whatever the sort of action in which they indulge. For even as gold, when submerged in filth, loses not that account of its beauty, but retains its own native qualities, The filth having no power to injure the gold, so they affirm that they cannot in any measure suffer hurt or lose their spiritual substance, whatever the material actions in which they may be involved. Wherefore, also it comes to pass that the most perfect among them addict themselves without fear to all those kinds of forbidden deeds of which the scriptures assure us that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And committing many other abominations and impieties, they run us down. That is us who fear, who, who from the fear of God guard against sinning and even thought or word. They run us down as utterly contemptible and ignorant persons while they highly exalt themselves and claim to be perfect and the elect seed. For they declare that we simply receive grace for use, wherefore also it will again be taken away from us. Uh, but that they themselves have grace as their own special possession, which has descended from above by means of an unspeakable and indescribable conjunction. And on this account, will more will be given them. And so uh, kind of a, uh, you can tell he's not a modern writer. He uses sort of some archaic construction there. But he's describing people who have the idea that because they are of a spiritual nature, they can't be corrupted with sin. And therefore, they engage in all kinds of sins. He calls them uh, uh, forbidden deeds. Uh, uh, see what uh, he talked about their impieties. Uh, they, they addict themselves without fear to all those kind of forbidden deeds. He says, 
They don't think they can be lost. They think they're saved and always will be saved. So you get the idea then that this once saved, always saved notion goes way back almost to the beginnings of the church. Mm-hmm. It's not new. Right. Been around a long time. Um, but we, we refer to this doctrine by a couple of other descriptives. Uh, I think once saved, always saved is the easiest one to understand. But we also call it the impossibility of apostasy. Apostasy is falling away, so right. they claim it's impossible to fall away. Mm-hmm. And then John Calvin made it one of his the tenets of his five-point theology. He called it the perseverance of the saints. In other words, the saints will persevere. If you're, according to Calvin, if you're one of the specially foreordained, predestined, elected persons who God chooses to save, a lot of things are going to happen. In other words, you're, uh, you're going to be saved because you were chosen. You can't even resist it. It'll be an irresistible call. But once, once you're saved, he says, you will persevere. You can't fall away. Uh, and so that was even one of the doctrines of John Calvin. Right. Uh, now, I, I got uh, some more quotes here uh, that I think really show where people are coming from on this. Here, uh, everybody knows Billy Graham. Billy Graham has passed away not so very long ago. But he had, for a long time he had a question and answer column in the newspaper. And Billy Graham was asked, when we do sin... Uh, no, the question was, will I lose my salvation if I sin? And Billy Graham answered. So the question was, will I lose my salvation if I sin? And Billy Graham answered by saying, when we do sin, God does not reject us or disown us. Our fellowship with him may be broken, but our relationship is not. We are still members of his family if we have truly committed our lives to Christ. I am convinced that once a person sincerely and honestly trusts Christ for his or her salvation, they become a member of God's family forever, and nothing can change that relationship. And so Billy Graham was one who held to this doctrine. Uh, and then... Um, Got a got a couple of outlandish uh, quotes. Um, Sam Morris, who was pastor of the First Baptist Church in Stamford, Texas, this is a famous quote. We've used it before on the Virtual Bible Study, and and uh, it's just really shocking. He was quoted as having said. Quote, we take the position that a Christian's sins do not harm his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. All the prayers a man may pray, all the Bibles he may read, all the churches he may belong to, all the services he may attend, all the sermons he may practice, all the debts he may pay, all the ordinances he may observe, all the laws he may keep, all the benevolent acts he may perform will not make his soul one whit safer. And all the sins he may commit from idolatry to murder will not make his soul in any more danger. The way a man lives has nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his soul. I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think you can make any plan of that, can you, Bob? Well, uh, well, when we look into the scriptures, we, we find that we are accountable. That's right. And we're going to look to those scriptures here in just a minute because uh, it, it sh- these statements are surely contradictory of what we read in the Bible. Here's a quote from the Southern Manual for Baptist Churches by Edward T. Hiscox. Quote, we believe the scriptures teach that such as are truly regenerate, being born of the Spirit, will not utterly fall away and perish, but will endure unto the end. Uh so again, the idea, the, the, 
the manual, Southern Manual for Baptist Churches teaches once saved, always saved. And then I don't want to wear anybody out with these quotes, but here's, here's, here's some information from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is very famous and well known and used by some of the mainline denominations as their standard of practice. The Westminster Confession of Faith says, quote, they whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arises all the certainty and infallibility thereof. So the Westminster Confession of Faith joins in uh, to say, once saved, always saved. So the, this doctrine is well established, Bob. Been around for a long time. But there's a lot of people in our world who, who believe it. Well, certainly that's the case. Uh, I would say the majority of religious people have that view. I think so, too. I think you're right about that. All right. So let's let's take this first question. Are there Bible verses that indicate continued faithfulness is necessary? Oh, we, we think yes. Bob, any come to your mind? Well, one of the first ones that I find uh, in relation to that is in Revelation chapter 2. And the last part of that verse says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Exactly. Uh, another passage that comes to mind is about our fellowship with God over in First John chapter 1. And uh, in verse 6 beginning, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he goes on to say in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Really important word there in that reading was if. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. What if I don't? Right. So I, John says we're going to sin. He included himself in that. He said if we say we don't sin, we're lying. Right. So he even included himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ in the reality that we will sin. Mm-hmm. But then he says if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our that's, sins. That's correct. So th- that powerful word if shows there's a condition to be met that it's not automatic that we won't that, that we're not going to be forgiven no matter what right the text also indicates the idea of stepping out of the light exactly. that is coming out of that fellowship by going back into darkness uh, again in verse 7 if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son jesus christ cleanses us from all sin but in verse 6, we can, as it brings out, walk in darkness. So you can step out of the light. Yeah, you can step out. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight, mm-hmm. really. Right. I tell you, a verse I really like, Bob, is uh, uh, the idea that uh, 
again, based upon this if condition, the word of conditionality, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So what if I do faint? What if I quit? What if I give up? What if I go grow weary and stop? Well, that promise doesn't hold for me. It clearly expresses that there's a condition to be met. So uh, a lot of verses. I got one here in the chat room. Brian out in California mentions Hebrews 3.12. He says, Hebrews 3.12 tells me it's possible to fall away. More than possible, I need to be on guard. Quote, this is Hebrews 3.12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Notice, it's written to brethren. Take heed, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So surely uh, there are verses that suggest it is absolutely necessary to remain faithful. And and, um, whatever we believe about our eternal security, in other words, as Christians, can we have confidence? Are we secure? We're going to have to harmonize our final conclusion about that with these plain statements of Scripture. That's correct. Uh, another passage from Galatians comes to mind. Uh, we know that Paul had to deal with Judaizing teachers, and they were trying to put a strain upon Gentile converts with the notion of being circumcised for salvation. And he talks about that as a falling away or, or causing themselves to become estranged from Christ uh, in promoting this kind of, of doctrine that was not... Uh, necessary was not the word of God, uh, yeah. and he he brings out beginning in uh, Galatians chapter five verse one. He says, "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage." Indeed, I Paul say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Yeah. So uh, the point I would try to make to some people that have this notion that once saved, always saved, is we understand that God's grace has been extended to all men. But in order for man to receive that grace, he has to do something in order to receive God's grace. Right. These people done that. They obeyed the gospel yeah. of Jesus Christ, but they were becoming estranged from Christ because they were leading people in a false venue of circumcision, and particularly the Gentiles. And Paul makes a statement saying, you have fallen from grace. So how can you fall from God's favor if you've never had it? Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Now, you know, that's obviously a, a, a theological question that we don't debate anymore. You know, the necessity of circumcision as a religious act, keeping aspects of the law of Moses typically is not a big problem, although some people mess up on that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the, the, the specific issue under, under consideration in that text uh, forcing circumcision on Gentile Christians mm-hmm. is not a real big theological issue for us. But what Paul was saying is if you if you do that, he was saying to them, if you if you force this false doctrine, you'll you will fall from grace. So the key, and I think you're exactly right on this, the key thing is you can fall from grace. Right. Uh 
you got to be in grace before you can fall out of grace. I always use the illustration: you got to be in a boat before you can fall out of a boat. And okay. so you got to be in grace before you can fall from grace. Galatians 5, verse 4 teaches that you can fall from grace. we got to grab a break here. Before we do, Kyle, you got anything to add on that? No, I just, it is a pervasive, uh, you know, it's the doctrine. It's, you can't, you can't talk about people about discipline. You can't talk about uh, church discipline. You can't talk about anything that, because people are like, well, there was just, we're once saved, always saved. We can yeah. do whatever we want to. So it's yeah. just, it's a, a lot it's of hard people. to argue with. Uh, it's a modern doctrine that's very hard to tangle with because people think it's just... It's, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, well, really, it's an easy doctrine. It's a yeah. comforting doctrine. It's a Of course. You uh, can it, wrap yourself up tight in it because, yeah, yeah, I'm saved. I'm, you know, I'm... You know. If you think about it in a way, it's sort of an invitation to low living. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I can do whatever I want. Nothing can happen to me. Yeah. All right, we're going to continue this discussion on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The measure of a man is seen in the things which he allows to annoy him. A person who can't lead and won't follow is really nothing more than a roadblock. Better it is to be alone than to be in bad company. He that will not command his thoughts will soon lose the command of his actions. Man, wish I'd said that. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. Now we're back on the virtual Bible study. Bob Tidwell's joining us tonight to help us discuss this question of once saved, always saved. Is it a true doctrine? So we, we talked about the fact that several verses indicate that continued faithfulness is necessary I think kind of an interesting way to approach this, Bob, is by virtue of what we. Oh, first of all, oh, I got to do something before we get to that. I, I got some. I got some email here. We need to throw in on that first question. Uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says yes. There are scriptures that indicate that continued faithfulness on the part of Christians is necessary. First Corinthians fifteen two, saved if we keep in memory. Hebrews 3, verse 6, in the Lord's house we hold fast. Colossians 1, 22 and 23, will be presented holy and unblameable in his sight if we continue in the faith granted and settled. 1 John 1, 7, Christians will be cleansed if they walk in the light. 2 Peter 1, 10, Christians can make their calling and election sure if we obey the conditions set forth in the previous verses. Uh, John 8, 31, one will be a true follower of Christ if, if, that he continues in his word and Galatians 6, 9 Christians shall reap if they faint not. So a whole bunch, whole bunch of verses and more that could be added there. Thank you, Kent, for that email. Let's go to this second question. What are some bad things that can happen to your faith? Now, I may have to explain what I mean by that. The scriptures say it's possible for certain things to happen to your faith. I'll give you an example. Your faith can be overthrown. Second Timothy 2, verse 18 who concerning the truth have erred and overthrow the faith of some. Well, you'd have to have faith before your faith could be overthrown. So your faith can be overthrown. It can be cast off. First Timothy 5.12, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. Well, you have to have faith before you can cast off your faith. 
Your faith can be departed from. First Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in later times some shall depart from the faith. Well, you'd have to be at a place of faith before you could depart from that. And then a really, I think, powerful uh, wording is in 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, where it says your faith can be made shipwrecked. Hold, he, uh, it says, quote, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Well, uh, there has to be a ship of faith before it could be wrecked, but your your ship of faith can be wrecked. Now, there may be more verses there, and I don't know if you've got any to add to that, Bob, but think about that. Just for, just to the four verses that I just read, says your faith can be overthrown, it can be cast off, it can be departed from, it can be made shipwreck. Now, would it be conceivable for a person once saved to remain saved if his faith was overthrown, cast off, departed from, and made shipwreck? In other words, the once saved, always saved doctrine says you could do, all those things could happen to your faith, you'd still be saved. That doesn't even make sense, does it? No. Yeah. Uh, another passage I uh, have in mind about departing uh, in Hebrews chapter 3. You, uh, I think, quoted verse 12 before, but it said, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it's called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And it was addressed to brethren. Right. And, and who could depart from the living God. Right. Beware lest you depart. Brethren, you can depart from the living God. But that'd be okay. You're once saved, always saved. Uh, I mean, these these statements. I mean, you don't you don't have to look at them too deeply, or you don't have to be uh, make some kind of uh, mental gymnastics of logic to come to a conclusion that if these things, if words mean anything, it surely means that you can be in danger of I, losing. I think your salvation. the scriptures are pretty pretty. Uh, Plain for us to understand. It's not hard for us to understand uh, the written word. I think you're exactly right. So, uh, and and again, I wonder how would the Lord have worded these things? No, how would the inspired text have worded these things if it didn't? It, you know, if, if your faith cannot be lost, if you cannot lose your salvation. How would the Lord have worded it in a different way? I mean, these these passages are just too plain. That's right. Um, let me read what Kent says. Kent's our faithful correspondent from Calhoun, Georgia. He says, one can err from the faith, 1 Timothy 6, 21, 2 Timothy 2, 18. One can deny the faith, 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. One may lose his personal faith, Hebrews 3, 12, Hebrews 10, 38, and 39. One may make shipwreck of their faith, 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> so Kent's got several good suggestions there on the idea of what negative things can happen to your faith. But the person who, who holds, any person who holds to the once saved, always saved position is saying all those bad things can happen to your faith. You can lose your faith. You can make shipwreck of it. You can cast it off, and yet you'll still be saved. I, I don't know. I, again, I... If words mean things, it's hard to accept that as being the the truth of the Scripture. Um, Anything to add there, Kyle? No, no, it's, uh, which there's negatives. I mean, the Bible talks about 
thoroughly, it's made very plain that we can fall from our faith. We can fall from grace. And it's just any, any doctrine that says that we can remain within the fold of God after committing sins, it's obviously very false doctrine. So. Yeah, it's just hard. It's really hard to accept. We're going to grab our, our bullet point break here a little bit early. And when we come back, we want to go to some plain Bible verses. We've already talked about some. We'll talk about some more that give warnings. The idea is if warnings are issued, warnings about falling away, if there are warnings, why are there warnings if it's not a possibility? Uh, I've used the illustration before, Bob, you know, when I'm driving down the road and it says, uh, you know, you see a a sign with one of those squiggles on it, you know, when you're uh, driving in the mountains, it it indicates the road's going to be real curvy. But you look ahead and for the next 10 miles, it's perfectly straight. Why would they put up a warning sign on a straight stretch of road if there are no dangerous curves ahead? Or uh, why, why would they you know, say things like slippery when wet if that's not really the case? Right. Uh, warnings, warnings given are given because there's a legitimate danger. And so we want to look at some of the warnings that say you can fall away. And, and our point will be simple. Why the warnings if it's not a possibility? Stay with us. We'll be back right after this break. Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word talk every Thursday night. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In Romans 14, verse 19, we are instructed to, quote, pursue the things which make for peace. Ephesians 4, verse 3 says that we should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What are some of the things that are necessary so that we can obey these commands and enjoy peace among brethren? The scripture teaches that all the following things are important for peace. Number one, humility. Pride is a great hindrance to peace. It provides an explosive atmosphere for strife and turmoil. Those who are proud can easily be provoked into a fight. God's word urges us to, quote, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, 1 Peter 5, 5. Number two, love. Instead of following the many instructions concerning love, we are often too ready to engage in harsh, presumptuous judging. This, of course, is plainly condemned by the word of God, Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5. Number three, carefully chosen words. We are warned that our words have the power to, quote, stir up anger, Proverbs 15, verse 1. For this reason, Colossians 4, verse 6 says, quote, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Number four, putting others first. We live in a selfish, self-centered society. This selfishness is a root cause of much of the fighting and bitterness. To combat this, we must, quote, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, Philippians 2, verse 4. Number five, forgiveness. It is inevitable that problems will arise. Wrongs and offenses will occur. When this happens, we have to be ready to, quote, forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, Ephesians 4, verse 32. And finally, number six, truth. There can be no real peace if we are not firmly established together in God's truth, Second John, verses 9 through 11. When we speak the truth, we demonstrate our love for both God and our fellow man, Ephesians 4, verse 15. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can find out more about us at our website, collegeview.com. Remember, College View spelled kind of funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E. 
College View. Look, look us up at collegeview.com. You can find a lot of information about us there. Also, our associated website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has a lot of resources there. So between those two websites, you can learn a lot about what we believe and teach and practice there are a lot of archives there of past programs of the virtual bible study uh we we also have so if you're watching tonight you're you're watching on our youtube channel the virtual bible study or uh, but we also have another youtube channel college view live stream and on it you can see uh, uh we, we live stream our bible studies and worship services but also Past ones are in archive form there, and so you can you can really get a sense of what it's like here at College View, and we'd love for you to check all of that out, and then we'd love for you to come and visit with us. If you have questions, you can always contact us by email, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, we, we'd be glad to engage with you and in in, uh, help with any Bible question that you might have. We're in Columbia, Tennessee. It's in Middle Tennessee, about 45 minutes south of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we'd love to have you come and visit with us. If, in your, if you're in our area, if you're passing through, please join us for one of our regular scheduled services. We have an upcoming weekend series, so everybody nearby, anybody in Middle Tennessee, please mark your calendars for October 23rd, 24th, 25th. We're going to have a, a, a short a shortened uh, fall gospel meeting. Jim Deason from Coleman, Alabama, will be here uh, to bring us lessons on October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And we hope you will be able to come if you are within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee. Okay, so we've got a question. We asked this question to our update list. What are some Bible verses that warn about falling away? And, and if there are such warnings, how can this be explained if there's no danger of falling away? Our, our point is, is, is pretty obvious. If there's a warning, there must be an associated danger. It doesn't make sense to give a warning if there's no danger around. And I've got a list of several. And then, Bob, you may have some to add to this. All of these statements were addressed to Christians uh we already looked at Galatians 5 verse 4 which talks about you can be fallen from grace so we won't we won't mention that again other than simply emphasize it's one of the very best verses teaching the danger of apostasy that you can fall away you can fall from grace and again you got to be in grace before you can fall from grace so this is obviously talking about somebody who was saved they were in God's grace they fell out of God's grace that's a powerful verse. Let me read a few others that I had in my list, Bob. First Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil could devour, can devour. You've got to be on your guard, Christian. First Corinthians 10, verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. You can fall. Be careful. You can fall. Acts 20, verse 31 this was actually, this, interestingly, this is, the context of this is Paul was talking to elders of the church at Ephesus, and to those elders, he said, Acts 20, verse 31, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Why the warnings, Paul, if you can't fall away? Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Now, stop there for a minute. Look at that description. They were once enlightened, they tasted of the heavenly gift. They were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. They tasted the good word of God, 
and the powers that work. And then it goes on to say, if they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucified themselves, the son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. They can fall away. Even those with that description can fall away. Um, and then probably if I had to pick one, Bob, uh, to use, it would probably be second Peter two verses 20 through 22. I don't know if you've got if you got your Bible open. I don't know, I don't know what ones you were going to go to, but I, this one's powerful. Second Peter two twenty through twenty two. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it, is, it has happened to them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Well, look at the description again. They So, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, that describes a saved person. I don't know how you could look at it any other way. Then it goes on to say, they are entangled therein again and overcome. So, they, they, they escaped the pollutions of the world. Now, they're entangled again. They've been overcome. And Peter says, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now, I think the easy explanation for that, the reason why the latter end is worse is because they're lost. They were lost before. Then they were saved. Now they're lost again. Lost is lost, you might say. But the reason the latter end is worse is because they have rejected the gospel. Now there's nothing left to pull them back. They've turned their back on the saving truth of the gospel. But clearly, Second Peter 2, 20 through 22, describes saved people who can be lost. Bob, what's your thoughts? Uh, I was thinking also, Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 26, he's speaking to Christians here, and he says, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insult the Spirit of grace? Exactly right. So uh, get the get the idea. This is talking to covenant people. This is talking to people who were saved. And he says, right. if they were, if the covenant people of Old Testament times under the law of Moses were to be punished for their violations, how much more do you think we deserve? He's talking to Christians, right? right? Exactly right. In our chat room, we guessed fourteen twenty one mentions Luke twenty two thirty one and thirty two. It says Jesus let Peter know that he prayed for him that his that that his faith failed not. Uh, look at that Luke twenty two verse thirty one. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Well, Jesus, why are you praying for Peter if, if, if his faith couldn't fail? If it's impossible to lose your faith and be lost, why would you bother praying for him? He said, I'm praying that your faith fail not. Clearly indicating there was a possibility that his faith could fail. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Anything else, Bob, you got on your list? Uh, not, so, uh, not on that particular okay. uh, topic. All right. Um, again, lots of verses. 
And the, and the follow-up question is, how can these warnings be explained if there is no danger of falling away? I don't think they can be explained. Uh, Kent in Georgia said, uh, Kent in Georgia, so this is question three. He says, Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, 2 Peter 2, 14. These individuals cannot cease from sin and are identified as cursed children, I, uh, that is, cursed children of God. And then he mentioned Second Peter two twenty through twenty two, which I was just uh, reading. So he he clearly indicates there are Bible verses that warn. And again, I think there's no expl- explanation. If there's no danger, the warnings shouldn't be given. Uh, like I was saying, you know, if if they put up warning signs on the highway and then there's no associated warning anywhere nearby, yeah, you know, that would almost make you mad, Bob. If you're driving along, you know, and they and they're throwing up these caution signs and warnings and you keep driving and driving and you never experience the warning that they warned you the the danger that they warned you about back several miles ago you think somebody's out of their mind to make these warnings and it's not it's not true uh you might even follow up with the authorities to say take those signs down it doesn't make any sense the same thing is true with the scriptures if this, if these warnings if there's not an associated danger, then the warnings are just meaningless. Well, they're clearly in there for our good. Everything that God has written, even from the old old law up to the new, it's always been for man's benefit. And he wouldn't have put it in there if it wasn't the case. Uh, when we talk about singing, sometimes it uh, talks about admonishing one another in our songs. And the idea of admonishing is to warn. Warn about what? Well, we can, again, one aspect is to fall from God's favor. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right, we got another question that I think really helps explain this situation. We want to look at the case of Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 8. You know, looking at real-life cases is very powerful. Even even people who are trying to sell products know that if you can do a case study, if you can show a real person who used your product maybe and they had a positive result from it or it helped them or it did. So real people case studies are kind of powerful ways of getting a message across those in the retail business know that, and they and they fashion their commercials accordingly sometimes. So in the case of Simon the Sorcerer, we have a real-life case of a person. We can see what actually happened to him, and we can learn from it. Obviously, the case of Simon the Sorcerer is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the evangelist Philip went to the city of Samaria, and he preached... And in verse 13, it says, Simon himself believed also when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, Simon had formerly been a deceiver, one who used sorcery to bewitch the people of the city of Samaria. But when Philip came preaching the truth of Jesus and had the associated signs of miracles to confirm his message, Simon was convinced by that. It says he believed and was baptized. Now, I think this is kind of interesting, Bob, because regardless of what position you take on the question of baptism, do you have to be baptized to be saved or not? It doesn't matter here. If you, if you're, if you take the view that you're saved by faith only, well, it says Simon believed. If you take the position that you have to be baptized for remission of sins, as we do, well, he was baptized also. He believed and he was baptized. Anyway, you go about it. Simon the sorcerer was a saved man. The Holy Spirit said that. We're not, we're, not, we're, not have to, we're not taking that on somebody else's word. We're not saying, well, somebody 
thought he was saved, but he probably wasn't saved. No, the Holy Spirit said he believed and was baptized. The Holy Spirit identifies him as a saved person. Now, when we skip down to verses 18 and 19, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. So the apostles came down from Jerusalem, and they laid hands on people and imparted to them the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Simon was impressed by that, and he wanted to be able to do that himself. Probably a greedy thing on his part. We don't know all of his motives, but they were bad motives, because notice what Peter said to him in the following verses, Acts 8, verse 20. Peter said to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God might be purchased with money. But thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy weakness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, get this. We know that Simon was a saved person, and then he committed this sin in which he coveted the, the, the power to lay hands on people and impart the Holy Spirit. Peter said, thy money perish with thee. He was in danger of perishing. He said, thy heart is not right. His heart was not right. Uh, he, he speaks of this, thy wickedness. He was guilty of wickedness. That thou might be, pray that thou might be forgiven. He needed forgiveness. He was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Uh, Another newer version says he was full of bitterness and captive to sin. Clearly, we've got a saved man here. In the case of uh, uh, Simon the Sorcerer, we've got a saved man who was now lost, and he had to pray to get right with God. Bob? Yeah, you notice the sin was in the heart because he's talking about uh, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Yeah. And then he says in verse 22, Repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven you. Look at the strong words that are indicated by this man's sin because of his thought. But he also expressed his heart by asking the gift. But the point is, the sin was in the heart. And he's described as, in the old King James, the, the, the gall Gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity. The New American translation, or New American, uh, the New, I'm not, excuse me, New King James Version says, uh, poisoned by bitterness and the bound by iniquity. So yeah. these are pretty strong words. Absolutely. Just on the thought of a man uh, perceiving something that he desired from the heart. Of course, we understand that, you know, sin begins in the heart of man. Exactly. From right. James chapter 1. Exactly right. Real quickly, a couple of emails here on this. Kent in Georgia says, Simon had genuinely obeyed the gospel of Christ and thus been saved from past sins. If Simon had not genuinely obeyed the gospel through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of sins to be added to the Lord's church, then Peter would have instructed him to do so. Simon, as a Christian, did sin. As a fallen and lost child of God, he was instructed to repent of his sin and pray to God for forgiveness. Note, the reason he did not have to be baptized again is due to the fact that he had already been baptized into the one spiritual body of Christ. Thus, he had already been spiritually born again into God's family. When one is born again into God's family, they cannot become unborn. They can, however, through sin, be disinherited and need to be restored to the fellowship of God. Mohan in Chicago says, We see that Simon truly obeyed the gospel by being baptized 
However, his heart became involved in sorcery, and he was told by Peter he was in the gall of bitterness and was told to ask God for forgiveness. He went from spiritual light to spiritual darkness. I think you're exactly right. So Simon the sorcerer serves as a really great case study for us as to what can happen to faith and that a person once saved can be lost. We're going to grab our last break, and when we come back, we want to see about a few proof texts that are sometimes used to try to defend the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Uh, We'll do that when we come back from this break. Stay with us. Uh, We will be right back. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. A new study has revealed that 22% of U.S. evangelicals appear to reject the Bible's teaching that the gender of a person as male or female is given by God, the Creator, and instead believe in something known as gender fluidity. 73% of American evangelicals disagree that gender identity is a matter of choice, but 22% say they believe in that statement. That information is via LifeWay Research. The Word of God says in Romans 1, beginning verse 21, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back going to the top of the hour on the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday night, September the 17th, 2020. Got some comments in the chat room. Let me get to these real quick. Uh, Jackie here in Columbia, Tennessee says, it does not matter how long this belief has been around or how long it continues in generations to come. It will never change God's written word that has been proven by the Holy Spirit. These deceivers can say all their lies. I know the Lord, but the Lord does not know them. Matthew seven, verse 23. So Jackie says it's been around a long time and probably will be continue to be around, but it doesn't make it right. I agree, Jackie. Brian in California says, do you think the erroneous idea is from a misreading of 1 John 3, 9? Let's go to that. We'll go to that in a minute when we try to look at some of these proof texts. Hang on to that, Brian. Jacob, uh, who's not with us tonight because he's under the weather, is is uh, watching and in the chat room. He says, another example of the fact that any position we take has to harmonize with the entirety of what the Scriptures teach. We can't take one verse and interpret it so that it teaches what we want when it forces that verse to contradict with other clear passages. I think that's exactly right. No, and really, that's the premise upon which we're building our, our study tonight. We've got to harmonize the Scripture. And when these verses say that a person can fall away and that there's a danger of falling away, then any other verse that we read, we're going to look at some verses here in a minute, any other verse that we read has to harmonize with these very plain ones. You can't take a verse that maybe is a little more obscure and force it to teach something that is plainly contradictory to the very clear and plain verses that we have already looked at. I'm going to give you one more example of a, a real-life case study, Paul or, uh, Bob, and that is of Paul, the Apostle Paul. One simple statement from Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, Paul? How could you possibly be a castaway, Paul? No, he says, I have to, I have to work. I have to bring my body into subjection. I have to work hard. Because I, I have preached to others, but I myself could still be cast away. Obviously, he spoke of the danger of apostasy. Um, 
let's look at some proof text. Uh, let me see here. I've got notes running everywhere. I, I got one that I want to look at real quickly in John chapter 10. I've, I've seen this passage used and I had a, I had an article from Billy Graham's answer, uh, column from years ago in which he used this text to try and suggest the idea of once saved, always saved. John 10 verse 27 beginning. John 10 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Billy Graham used that text to say that once you're saved, it's impossible to ever be lost. Notice, they shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. Now, That's very comforting, and those are good words of assurance. But I want you to notice that this is a conditional text. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear me, they hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them to eternal life, and no man shall pluck them. They shall never perish, goes on to say. Okay, so if we keep hearing the voice of Jesus, that is what he teaches us through the word, and if we keep following him, then we have eternal life that can ne- and we can never perish. No one can pluck them out of his hand. Well, that's true. That's true. As long as we keep hearing his voice and following him. But what happens, Bob, if we stop hearing his voice, stop listening, and stop following? Then the promises of that passage it doesn't, continue. doesn't continue. Exactly right. So that's the example of how a proof text is sometimes used that does not really Prove the, the 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 point. Um, have you got any that come to your mind, uh, Bob, as proof texts? Um. Well, I'm thinking of Romans the eighth chapter, uh, the verses we looked at not too much uh, too long ago, actually. Uh, in verse 28, he says, "And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who." are called according to his purpose. Uh, we, are, again, are called by the gospel. And, indeed, uh, everything will work good for those who love the Lord. That's the, that's the key, I think. If You know, everything is summed up in the fact that we're to love God with everything that we are in Matthew chapter 22. Yeah. He says, hang all along the prophets. He goes on down about verse 31. It says, what then shall we say? These things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not uh, with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's leg? Is It is God who justifies. And who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or peril? So all these things are mentioned, but the point is, uh, certainly God is for his children, but his children have to remain obedient. Yeah, uh, these are external things. No yes. external thing can take our salvation away. Right. If you get down to verse 38, Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither 
uh, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, there's no external thing that can take my salvation away. But none of that suggests that I can't go away on my own, that I might choose. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, In our chat room, Guess 6642 says, could Romans 8 be the source? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing external can separate me from the love of God. I have to make that determination to leave God. But I can. The scriptures clearly indicate that I can. But in other words, no external force can cause me to be lost. I have to become unfaithful to God to be lost. So uh, I I think that's the key. Brian in California asked about 1 John 3, verse 9. Do you think the, this erroneous idea comes from 1 John 3, verse 9, which says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot commit sin. He cannot sin because he is born of God. I, I, Brian, that's going to be a passage that we've got to explain for sure. So in explanation of 1 John 3, 9, whoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Well, wait a minute. Just earlier, because we were looking at this verse, Bob, you were referencing chapter 1 here, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Well, wait a minute. How could John say in chapter 1 that if we say we have no sin, we're lying but in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. Well, what we've got here then is is a necessary explanation of the kind of activity that First John 3, verse 9 is describing. Whoever is born of God does not commit continuing sin. In other words, he does not engage in sin and continue in sin. Because the seed, the word of God remains in me. So, so as, as a Christian, am I going to sin? Yes. Chapter one, verses eight through 10. As a child of God, I will sin. If I, in fact, if I said otherwise, I'd be lying. But as a child of God, I'm not going to continue in sin, uh, as long as his seed remains in me. I'm not, uh, though I may sin, I will not continue in that course of sin. Because I'm being influenced by the word of God, the seed. So I, I think that Brian brings up a really good, and I do think that that's a potential proof text, First John 3, verse 9. But you've got to explain that as kind of an obscure statement. Seems a little bit unusual. So let the plainer statement in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, explain chapter 3, verse 9. Right. Uh, another passage I thought about, uh, when Paul's talking to the brethren at Rome, uh, when we become children of God, we're dead to sin. And sometimes we may have the notion that we're at liberty. We have, since we're made free, we're at liberty to continue in sin. But he, he deals with that in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He says, What shall we say then? It, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? So, again, not that we won't sin, but we won't continue in right. sin. Exactly right. Yeah. And I do think that's the explanation of 1 John 3. Now, we're just out of time. But I had one last quick question. Uh, if someone who has 
been considered, who was once considered saved, became obviously sinful and wicked. How is this explained by those who believe once saved, always saved? You know what what they say, Bob, is if if this guy goes off in sin, then, well, he probably never was saved in the first place. You've heard that explanation. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, Billy Graham said this. He says, uh, the question asked of Billy Graham was, once a person decides to follow Jesus, can they lose their salvation later on if they commit a major sin? Uh, Billy Graham says, if someone truly, sincerely repents of their sin, they're forgiven by Jesus if they name him as their Lord. Uh, they now belong to him forever and their salvation is secure. Uh, the Bible says nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans eight thirty nine. what we were just talking about. He says, then he goes on to say, does this mean it doesn't matter how we live? Absolutely not. If we live sinful lives, it may well mean that we haven't given ourselves to Christ after all, and that we, uh, that we've even deceived ourselves into thinking we're saved when we really aren't. So Billy Graham uses this this caveat: if someone gets way off into sin, well, they weren't ever saved in the first place. That's the explanation that they want to offer. But to that view, I would again go to Simon the Sorcerer. He was a clearly saved individual, and he and he fell into sin. So the the case of Simon the Sorcerer and lots of the other verses that we've referenced tonight definitely refute the position that Billy Graham and others say. Well, if you if you sin, well, you probably weren't saved anyway. Any final thoughts, Kyle? Anything uh, to, as we wrap this up? Uh, which I think we have to be. Those who preach and teach the word need to make sure they're familiar with what the word says and what the word means and what the Bible teaches. I think soft preaching and soft teaching, we're, I think we're failing ourselves and even our children when we teach. We're setting themselves up for spiritual failure and a sinful life if they live in ignorance of these things. So I think we need to make sure that we're teaching and preaching the right things. Exactly right. We've got to teach on these basic yeah. doctrines for sure. Uh, real quick, a couple emails on this last question. Uh, Kent says, Baptists usually attempt to argue that such individuals were never really saved anyway. Well, it's certainly true that one cannot backslide from a condition of... Well, it is certainly true. It certainly is true that one uh, can't... You can't backslide if you never were truly converted. No doubt there are those that fit this category... But such does not mean that they aren't individuals like Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 8, who genuinely converted to Christ and then through sin and unfaithfulness fell. Uh, Mohan says, people who believe in the Lordship Salvation Doctrine believe that they were never saved to begin with since we become new creatures in Christ once we are born again. Others who believe in the easy believism doctrine like Charles Stanley and Jack Hiles believe that no matter what, you can become an atheist and start murdering people. You still remain saved as long as you've believed in Jesus at least one time in your life, which is preposterous. Okay. Well, we had to hurry there at the end, but I think a good study, Bob. I think a necessary study. We got we got to get back. We got to we got to dwell on these basic doctrinal questions. I think sadly there's been a move away from that sort of thing in, in a lot of, of of teaching. All right. Could I leave us with one more passage? Sure. Uh, over in Galatians chapter six, beginning in verse seven, it says, "Do not be deceived. God does not mock. For whatever man sows, that he shall also reap." For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will uh, of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And then he, he gives this encouraging word to the brethren. He says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, if. 
Right. You got to keep, got to stay faithful. Very good. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for being with us on the Virtual Bible Study. I think it's your first time, isn't it? It's been a while. Been a while. Yes. You maybe were on several years ago yes, one time with us. Yeah. Thanks for being with us tonight good and to helping, be tonight. helping to fill in. Kyle, thanks for your help tonight, buddy. It's always good. All right. So that wraps up our study tonight on the Virtual Bible Study. Uh, until this time next week, Lord willing, we'll be back next Thursday night, same time, same place. Plan to join us. Tell others about the virtual Bible study. Until then, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.